and welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times. The podcasts, where can you find them? How about SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and a whole bunch of others, as well as on the homepage of richarddugan.com and the radio shows page of richarddugan.com. We are very excited to to have you with us, and I'm going to give you the other information that we normally give you at this time later, because I want to jump into our our conversation with our guest today. Uh, His name, excuse me, pardon me, there we go. His name is Jeff Holler. He is the author of Bigger Than Business, Real World Stories of Business Owners Living Their Purpose. Uh, Gee, we've only used that word a million times on this program. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. It's... I appreciate you having me. It's great to be here with you on Tell Me Your Story. Now, I'm, I'm looking forward to our time together. Bigger than business. Um, now, I've heard the phrase, too big to fail. Uh, and, of course, what we found out was they weren't too big to fail. And they did. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they were bailed out and and so forth. When, when you are talking about these uh, various uh, real-world stories of uh, business owners uh, living their purpose... Uh, they have had to have find out, found out what their purpose is in the first place. So uh, are these stories of individuals who just on their own have found their life's purpose? Uh, and I'm going to ask if there's a difference between their life's purpose from your perspective and say their business purpose. That's a, that's a great question. And, uh, no, they, they, to answer your first question, they didn't just uh, uh, find their purpose on their own. It, it, um, they, in every case, they found what they were good at. They found their calling first. And their calling is really what I refer to as their unique ability. Um, the unique abilities that God gave them. And they discovered you know, what they enjoyed doing, what they were passionate about. Um, what motivated them and excited them when they got up in the morning. And then over time, as they grew in relationship with Christ, they, they came to understand that uh, he, would, he would provide on a uh, day-by-day basis the purpose and lead them to the ultimate purpose of what they do. But, but ultimately what they discovered, Richard, is that you know, God created them to be a ministry. He, he created us all to be a ministry. It, it's, that's very scriptural. Um, and, but these are all people who own businesses and, you know, they, they first didn't understand, you know, how they could be a ministry, but they realized that God created them to do exactly what they're doing. He created them to be in ministry in the marketplace through their business. Mm -hmm. So they, they all, each of them created a mindset in a different way that, that they understood that, uh, uh, their purpose was to serve God through their business. And by the way, their business wasn't theirs. It was God's. They're simply stewards mm-hmm. of what God had blessed them with. And so their, their business, their purpose, uh, they found in their business, serving God, being a ministry through their business. And then how that occurs kind of unfolds on a daily basis as they're obedient to, to God's will. I know that there have to be some who struggle with this aspect because especially of, of Jesus' uh, uh, admonition, uh, uh, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and unto God what is God's. 
you know, and and don't mess around with the coin and don't play around with those kinds of things and and all that. And yet we see time and time again, we see corporate uh, uh, CEOs and owners and business owners and so forth who get caught up in whatever it is they get caught up in. That's not ethical, let alone maybe not even legal. Uh, And yet uh, it always seems to come down to money. It always mm-hmm. seems to come down to that dollar, and uh, I've heard this this comment made that uh, 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 you know uh, that uh, money is the root of all evil, and uh, that a lot of people they they struggle with that, and at the same time saying I want to do more than just you know survive. I want to thrive. I don't want to live paycheck to paycheck. And I know that there are even business owners who are living paycheck to paycheck, and it's like, what kind of a life is that? And then. How has how has uh, uh, owning this business really helped me? I might as well be working for somebody else and living paycheck to paycheck kind of thing. What about those dynamics that are are quite honestly uh, part and parcel of maybe not our economic system, but certainly of the uh, uh, economic undercurrents, especially in this country? Yeah, boy, you touched on a lot of points there, Richard. I was Sorry about that. I would, that's okay. I'm going to try and address all of them. But, but the, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, mm-hmm. the love of money. And the, the people that get in trouble are the ones that fall in love with money and are willing to compromise their, their values to, to achieve that, achieve, you know, their, their, or chase the money. Uh, the, the subjects of my eight stories on six different continents, all business owners, they realize that uh, their number one priority is to love God with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind and all their strength mm-hmm. and, and to follow his will for their life. And part of that is he created them to be in the business they're in. They, they love what they're doing. They're, they're great at what they do. And that's where God created them to be in ministry. And, and the difference is that they see themselves um, not as if it's their business or their money, they see it as if they understand that it's not their business or their money. They understand it's God's business and it's God's money. And they see themselves and understand that they're simply caretakers for God. They're stewards of what God has so richly blessed them with. So they're very intentional about um, how they make decisions. They pray intensely about uh, decisions that involve money and, and, um, you know, what, what to do with how to invest in their company and and what to do with the profits. Um, so it's it's uh, you know they also they also know that uh, the Bible says they should strive for excellence. So in their companies they strive for excellence. Uh, Colossians three twenty three says to do everything as if you're doing it for Jesus Christ Himself. And so that's part of being a good steward, and that's part of what they do in their company. So there's nothing wrong with being an excellent business person, with being in the marketplace and building an excellent, profitable business. As long as you understand that it's all for God's glory and and what you do with it is how others will see, you know, Christ through you or or not. And so um, they, they, they love God uh, first. Mm-hmm. And they see money as simply a vehicle to serve God um, and to... to to serve his kingdom. And so some of the most generous people on the planet are business owners, people in the marketplace who have had some success. Um, they know that that success is a blessing from God and, and they want to use the fruit of that labor to, to serve others. Um, and, and in my book, there's some great examples of that, uh, two of the subjects literally given their companies away. 
um, and all of the profits uh, that are not reinvested back in the company go to ministry, hmm. um, go to ministries that, that they work very hard to discern whether or not that's where God wants them to be involved. So um, I think it's it's where your heart is. I think it all comes down to um, the heart. And if the heart loves money more than God, then certainly values are going to be compromised. Ultimately, uh, you're going to get in trouble. But if your heart truly loves God first and foremost, then you just see your your business as an opportunity to serve and glorify God, mm-hmm. your business an opportunity to live with excellence and to serve not only your employees, but your vendors, your clients, everybody with excellence. And when you make a fair profit, to be discerning about how to use that to serve the kingdom as well. I saw a piece on the news just the other night uh, where uh, during the holidays, this one corporate head, uh, owner of the company, had thousands, as far as I know, maybe hundreds or thousands of people working for him, and they were holding their annual Christmas party. And he, based upon their each of the employees' longevity at the company, he gave them bonuses. Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 11, I think it was $11 million spread over his employees. Uh, some people got $50,000. One person, I think, uh, who had been there for like 44 years, he gave them a bonus of 200 and I think it was $244,000. Wow. Now, someone who'd only been there maybe a year or two, maybe only got 100 bucks. What troubled me, not so much about that story, but about the almost sort of the backlash by some is, number one, the fact that he divided up the money in that fashion, which it's his company, it's his money, and he can do with it what he wants. But then the perceived inequity between the person who was there 44 years versus the person who, say, was there only there for a year. And my attitude in my business, which is broadcasting, that I've been in for 40 plus years has always been, especially around the holidays when it came to Christmas bonuses. It's the second word that is so important. It's a bonus. It's not something you count on. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the last Christmas bonus I got. And this is not saying anything disparaging about any of the employers I have or have had. That was something extra. And if you got it, thank you. Greatly appreciated. I'm going to have some fun with this. And if you didn't get it, how, how are you going to get all upset or so over something you didn't get? You know what I'm saying? You still yeah, have absolutely. a job. You're and getting that's, paid to do your job. <laughs> exactly. And that's something that bothers, that I sh- well, I shouldn't say bothers me, but perplexes me about the people in the business community, in the work Uh, Doing the work, especially when you start hearing about CEOs who are uh, pulling down uh, multi-million dollar uh, uh, annual, what is it, uh, uh, they get this bonus. They get this million, multi-million dollar bonus every year for doing what? Because it's the people down at the bottom who have been making you the money, buddy, Um, that, that this is the perception. These are the things that the people see in regards to business today. And I'm wondering about some of these folks in your book and the stories that are are told as to how this kind of attitude, because that's what it is. It's an attitude that I don't hold. Okay, Uh, that it's out there. It's like, well, wait a minute. Give me mine. 
There was a story about Motorola back in the 80s that laid off about a thousand people because they did an audit and they found about a million dollars worth of materials missing. So can, can we maybe touch upon that a little bit? And I know you kind of ended what you said early uh, just a moment ago, uh, that if your heart isn't, if your heart is uh, more geared towards the money than it is towards God, you know, then, yeah, you've got some problems. But what about the people on the outside, even the employees who look at these business owners, you know, and they and, and your, your people in your stories, the, the business owners in your stories are probably upright standing citizens and they're doing right by their employees. But because they're business owners, they get tarred with the same brush. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really, really good question, Richard. And um, unfortunately, our media uh, plays up the the bad stories and the negative stories, and and there are there are too many of them, frankly. And the and the disparity between some of these super highly paid corporate executives and and their their employees at every level, um, you know, they're getting paid in some cases hundreds of millions of dollars, and 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 they're doing it to to basically. Uh, uh, if they have to fire employees to maintain the, uh, the the corporate profits, so so yeah, there's there's too much of that going on. And, and what I learned in writing this book is that it's not the majority. Um, I I ended up traveling the globe, six different continents, uh, eight different stories, uh, uh, totally different businesses, everything from large business, uh, multi-billion-dollar business, Hobby Lobby stores. In Oklahoma City down to a sixteen thousand dollar year sewing cooperative in Rwanda, Africa, and and there there are a lot of commonalities, but one of them is the business owners see their employees the way Christ looks at people. They they see them as Christ's children, and they see that they need to reward them fairly for the value they bring to the company, and and that's really the focus of the business owners in our story to to make sure their people are fairly compensated. And the stories give great examples. Um, David Green, for example, uh, decided to raise the minimum wage long before raising minimum wage became a point in contention in the United States. The reason he did it, he, he, his company was making a lot of money, he was giving a lot of money to ministries, but he realized a lot of his employees were single mothers who had, were having to work two jobs to take care of their kids. And so he said, there's no reason why they should have to work two jobs. Even if it costs my company millions, I'm going to raise the minimum wage. So he slowly started raising the minimum wage. He's now close to, to $16 an hour, has been for, for quite a while. And what happened was, you know, those women um, discontinued working two jobs. They were much happier in their job. His employee retention um, went way up, and he had happier employees. He was able to retain the cream of the crop. His turnover went way down, and he actually ended up making more money. Um, so, you know, he, he told me as I was asking him about this very question, um, you know, one of the, I asked him about this. And he said, you know, when, you're, when you see yourself as God's steward, you can't, and you have a decision like this where, you know, the calculator's involved, you can't always get there with a calculator. You know, you just can't, sometimes you just have to make a decision that goes against what the world says you ought to be doing. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Saparno in Indonesia, um, they own some, some palm plantations. They actually have a program where poor farmers can, um, over time acquire the land of the trees they harvest and become, uh, landowners. 
and ultimately um, uh, have equity and grow in in uh, their own wealth, their own personal wealth. And um, they also go in and help um, build the local villages around the plantations and bring in education. And, and they, do, they spend a lot of money that, that a lot of companies wouldn't spend because it takes from the bottom line. But it's the right thing to do. And so business owners who's, who have a heart for God that see themselves as steward, stewards, not only are, are good stewards around their financial resources, but they're also good stewards around their people resources. They're good stewards around their environmental resources. They understand that, that every aspect of uh, influence that they have or that their company has, that they have to be a good steward of that. And, and let me tell you, as I travel the, the world to, to interview and write these stories, I found that there are a lot more good stories. There are a lot more um, Christian business owners, people of faith running businesses that run with um, that type of intentionality and that type of mindset, stewardship mindset, than there are bad businesses and bad business owners. We just hear more about the bad ones. Um, it, it, the, the, from a salary perspective, not one person in my book takes you know, a, a re- unreasonably high salary. They all take very moderate salaries. Um, they, uh, if their company is profitable and they get to share in some of the profits, then they earn, you know, some additional funds that way. But, mm-hmm. but you don't. They're not making these multi-million-dollar salaries because they don't. They don't want to have that discrepancy from the rank and file employees. I remember hearing a story about a, uh, a gentleman who opened up a, a yogurt company uh, back back east. Uh, as far as my location is concerned. And uh, uh, when it was all said and done, uh, basically he made virtually every employee sort of a co-owner of the company. So they had a vested interest in the company, and they certainly would reap the profits kind of like shareholders uh, uh, would uh, in terms of stocks. And I thought, wow, you know, that's, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty neat. I mean, he still owns it, but he's got all these shareholders who are working there. So they have a vested interest in making sure that this uh, yogurt tastes great. It's packed properly. There are no contaminants and it gets shipped to your local grocer in such a way as that you get to enjoy the, the fruits of their labor. Uh, and then you support them through purchasing the fruits of their labor. And I thought, wow, that is pretty yeah. neat. And we are hearing more stories. Uh, I don't know about you. I don't know how much News you watch, but on the network level, many of the network news uh, uh, feeds now uh, are having at least at least they're having it. It may be at the end, but at least they're having what would be called a feel good story about mm-hmm. people who are they're, they're they're committing acts of kindness, whether it be individuals, whether it be different groups, whether it be a company doing the kinds of things that you've talked about as well. Uh, and so that's encouraging to me and, uh, it gives me hope, <laughs> hope for the future. Well, you know, it, it, and, um, you know, in one way, the media around all these, these bad actors has been really good because we have a whole new generation, Richard, of business owners who are starting businesses with, with purpose. Yes. And a lot of them are, are, um, saying, okay, our purpose is to support a certain ministry or to support a certain charity. Um, there's a social aspect to the, a social service aspect to, to the businesses. And their purpose is, is, is they're, they're seeing the inequity um, that these bad actors have created in the marketplace, and they wanna have successful companies, but they don't wanna be like that. And so there's all sorts of ideas like your yogurt company 
that, that people are starting to develop to serve other people, to serve ministries, to serve charities along with their business. And they're not just doing it to for the sake of it sounding good for advertising purposes. They're doing it because they believe in it. They, they believe that's what they ought to be doing. And the, the, the subjects in my book very much do the same thing. As a matter of fact, as I mentioned, um, two of the companies uh, have literally been given away to foundations. And uh, it, uh, Barnhart Crane, um, Alan Barnhart, uh, and uh, Hobby Lobby, David Green, they're two subjects in the, in the book, their stories. Um, about 50% of their profits go back into growing the business, which they consider the tree. And the other 50% goes um, into their foundations to ministries. And, and so the employees understand that the company's going to continue. There's, they don't have to worry about, you know, when the patriarch dies, does this fall apart? Or what if the son comes in and he can't run it or the daughter comes in and, and she doesn't want it, you know, keep, she wants to sell it. Um, they know the company's going to continue as long as they can continue to do a good job. So, um, again, a totally different approach. Um, and you're seeing more and more and more of that because of the publicity around these bad actors and how distasteful people find it. And the fact that people say, you know, I don't want to be that guy. So in a way, there's been kind of a benefit of all this negative yeah. publicity, I think. The, the other thing is, is that, I, that I just was really inspired about was um, in every subject in the book, every business was different. And again, they're on six different continents and they're in different, different businesses, different markets. But they all emphasized their culture, how important the culture of the company was. And it, every, every company was a Christ-centered culture. And the owners held them, hold themselves accountable to the employees that, to say, hey, if, if, I don't, if I don't live my faith um, and you see that, hold my feet to the fire. Because our culture is going to be based on biblical principles. And they, that doesn't mean they hire all Christians. Um, every business owner said basically the same thing. I'll hire anybody of, of faith, of non-faith, uh, of any faith, um, as long as they're the right person for the job. But they have to understand the, the basis of our culture mm -hmm. and, and the source of our principles. And they have to understand and respect that. As long as they understand and respect it, then, you know, I'm fine. They don't have to become a Christian. And, you know, when you think about it, who doesn't respect and appreciate being treated with respect, being in an environment where people are honest, being in an environment where people are transparent, being in an, honor, uh, an environment where cursing is not allowed? You know, all the things that, that Christian principles, when portrayed in a business, make it a great place to work. So I wanted to touch on that as well, because that the, there are more and more people focusing their internal business cultures around um, very positive core values. We're talking with Jeff Holler, author of Bigger Than Business, real-world stories of business owners living their purpose. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And guess what? We'll be right back. Tell me your stories. I'll do my best to understand. And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, along with Jeff Holler, the author, as I said earlier, of the book, Bigger Than Business, Real World Stories of Business Owners Living Their Purpose. And by the way, the website, biggerthanbusiness.com. 
com, where you can get more information about the book, as well as learn more about uh, Jeff, uh, who has a background in finance. Uh, you ever work uh, the floor of the stock exchange, Jeff? Ne- never have. I, that's uh, uh, that's a battle <laughs> in and of itself. Let me tell you what. Wow. I, I, although it's it's considerably calmed down over the last 10, 20, 30 years as computers have come in. And it used to be you'd have all those people screaming and yelling and paper flying all over the place, you know. Buy, buy, buy. Sell, sell, sell. Oh, yeah, I've, my. I've been there in the day. Oh. Back in the day when it was like that, I visited a couple times and was able to actually be on the floor. But but I did not work it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. it's uh, uh, That's got to be a crazy place. I've never worked it either. Um, and I know that uh, uh, it's it's some it's one of those indicators that a lot of people look to, you know, and and think that that's going to make a big difference in how they are going to see how the world is going, how the business, how the business world is going, how the economy is going. You know, I've given up on the stock market. I, I do know that when it was first established, the whole purpose of it was, uh, hey, Jeff, um, you know, I, I you see you're a farmer and you. Uh, uh, you grow corn. Hey, that's that's pretty good. You, you have pretty good crops most of the year, it looks like. I'd like to help you out. I want to give you $10,000 to invest in maybe another tra- a new tractor or this or that so that you, you can do a better job and maybe be a little bit more productive, uh, maybe buy another stretch of land that you can grow more corn and so forth. And all I'm asking for is maybe, a, I don't know, five, four or 5% return on my investment. That's what it was originally designed for, if I am understanding my history correctly. That is not even close to what it is today. It is nothing more than an ATM, uh, in a manner of speaking, because you buy low, you sell high so that you get the biggest return and you can knock that, sock that away into your uh, bank account. Well, that, that's if you're smart enough to buy well and sell. That, there there you people, go. Most you, people are not smart enough to do that. You've got to be a, a wizard or a magician. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it, you, you have to get two decisions right. You have to get uh, the first decision to buy at the right time. Then you have to get the second decision. Actually, that's almost impossible to it, do. It, so. it really is. But the fact of the matter is, for you and I, and again, I don't know, don't care to know whether you own stocks or what have you, but... For those of us who don't, stock I don't care. It doesn't make any difference what whether it goes up or down. Uh, what I love is the fear that goes into people uh, when, when it goes down and down and down and down and down. And I say, okay, uh, go to Google and uh, uh, go into the history of the, U- uh, the New York Stock Exchange. See where it started, all right? And even at its down point right now, see where it is. And look at the trend over the history of the New York Stock Exchange. And what direction has it gone? Up. It's always gone up. It has so its you, dips. You could you could be a successful investor, Richard. You should be. In the market. <laughs> you and you and Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett says, "Hey, when when it, it when people think the building's on fire and they're all running out, he said, I 'I'm running in, you know, into the and and so yeah. um, you know the, the 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 smart approach to investing is." Um, you know, when when the market is is disrupted, uh, to, to, that's a buying opportunity. And, and sure, um, but the the, the you know, problem when it, when that... it gets over when it's over sizzling, that's a good time to take some chips off the table. So yeah, we I I am I do uh, I am do own some stocks, some, com- some companies, but I don't try and time. I don't try and time when's the right time to buy and when's the right time to sell. I have a long term plan. There you go. Um, I'm only willing to take a certain amount of risk. So my 
I'm allocated around cash and bonds and stocks mm-hmm. in a way that, mm-hmm. that meets my risk profile. And I'm like you. I don't pay attention to you know what, what the talking heads are saying mm-hmm. um, because I know that long term, if, if history continues, that ultimately you know the, the portion of my portfolio I have in stocks, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow. And, and actually, I keep extra in cash. So if we hit some of those times when, that Warren Buffett refers to as the building's on fire and everybody's running out, that uh, I can go in with him and, and maybe make some acquisitions, some companies are on sale. Sure. So Nothing wrong with uh, getting a deal. Nothing wrong with that at yeah. all. Yeah. No, not at yeah. all. I love what Will Rogers said, though. Uh, you can uh, line up uh, economists end to end, and they will all point in different directions. Absolutely. Uh, uh, that's why you need just a long-term plan. You just need to stick to it. See, that phrase, that word is like a, a foreign substance to the people who deal with uh, uh, the economy and finances. The long-term. Everybody's so interested in short-term. And, of course, the the quick, the quick uh, get, get, get you, you know, uh, uh, the quick uh, bonus, you know, and so forth. When the fact of the matter is, like life it's a marathon and it goes until the day you die. You can't take it with you in spite of the fact that I know there are some people who have been buried with their treasures and they didn't take (laughs) it with them. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I don't think that's going to happen. Not Uh, at all. What? uh, Go ahead. The, 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 uh, you know, and, and, and the reason people don't look, most people don't look long-term. If everybody had my and your perspective, there wouldn't be a need for all the talking heads and all the people that, you know, get on TV and talk about all the short-term things. So yeah. um, that's just the way of the world, and you, know, you just have to ignore it. Exactly, exactly right. But as someone who has uh, been in finance for a number of years, and I, I take it you're probably still involved in that particular area in, in your absolutely. life? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you see what's what's been going on around us, not just in the last few years, but, you know, let's take a look at the last uh, 30 or even 40 years. We'll go back to when I first got into this business in 1979, you know, and I've watched things go up and down. And, we, you know, we've certain events have been been given names like the Great Recession of 2008. Uh, honestly, I was employed full time, uh, doing well. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, and it didn't seem to have a real big impact. Now, some people say Santa Barbara is is sort of in a bubble. Uh, that might be true to some degree, but I didn't hear from any of my friends complaining that they were having those kinds, you know, the kinds of problems that you kept hearing about on the news. And obviously, again, we'll go back to agreement uh, that the media does. They will take something and they'll focus in on it and then they'll blow it up. You know, they'll zoom in and then blow that up. Uh, But I didn't notice that there were any major problems. My father and mother are children of the Depression. My dad was born in 31. So he grew up in the heart of the Depression, as did my mother. Um, and here they are today and they've seen a lot more than I have. Uh, what about, is, is, are we, are we going to go back to that same phrase again, long-term when we start talking about, uh, financial well-being and maybe let's, let's toss something else in there too. You know, you're talking about uh, these auth- these, uh, these, uh, eight stories of these business owners and fi- and living their purpose, uh, abundance prosperity and i know the biblical passage about casting your bread upon the waters and and so forth uh that and, and tithing and all of those different elements um 
give us your perspective, if you can. I know I, I, I'm, I, I, my, it's a habit of mine that I throw so much in there, and then the, the guest <laughs> has to unpack it. But I think you have an idea of where I'm going with this, uh, that uh, we're trying to, to inculcate a different mindset when it comes to this one area that seems to cause more stress and consternation in families, in couples, let alone in businesses, than anything else. And, of course, that's money. Share with us your perspective as a financier, if, if that's the right term, uh, financial planner, I guess, uh, in, in, in light of what you try to share with people, uh, businesses, business owners, let alone people who invest and so forth. Uh, and, and, and what kind of perspective uh, they should have going into something like this? Well, the, the Bible has a lot to say about money, probably, you know, everything we, we need to know. And, and as we've already talked about the warnings about how money can be harmful if we allow it. Um, there's also biblical passage about how money can be beneficial. You know, if if again, we have the right perspective of it. Um, you know, there's. I think God. Uh, intends for us again to understand it's his and to um, look to him for our guidance but I think God wants us to be prudent he wants us to if we are one of the ones that are blessed with abundance to um, save enough to to be able to help continue to do what we do not only in our business but to uh, help take care of other people who are not so blessed. So I think one of the reasons um, some of us are blessed with abundance where we have, you know, poverty as well. God said the poor will always be with us. Jesus did, excuse me, um, is so that those of us who have been blessed with abundance, it's almost like a test. Our job is to give a hand up, um, not a handout, in, in, not a handout, but a hand up mm -hmm. to those who need, need some help. And, you know, God has a, a way for each of us to do that. You know, how he wants me to help give the poor hand up may not be the same way he wants you to do it. Mm -hmm. Or he may have for you, Richard, to go visit the people in prison. That may be his one of his purposes for you. And, and the way we find that is is through prayer. But he, he wants us to use all of our resources in a way that, that glorifies him, whether it's our money, our time, um, um, our talent, our, our, our uh, in gifts he's given us of um, our hobbies, um, whatever it is, he wants us to use it in his honor and his, his glory. So, you know, how do we do that? We just, we're constantly in prayer, constantly seeking his guidance in how to use what he's given us and where, where he calls us to use it. Hmm. Um, so I, you know, I think people are blessed with abundance. Unfortunately, a lot of people misuse their abundance. Um, Money is, a, is very problematic for a lot of people because they don't manage it well, because they don't follow biblical principles. For example, the, the, the Great Recession of 2008 actually was a pretty deep recession, and statistically, um, the unemployment rate went very high. Um, the real unemployment rate was probably between 15 and 20 percent um, at the time. There were a lot of people all over America that, that were laid off, and because um, people had been spending instead of saving and hadn't been prudent with the use of, of the, the job, the, the funds, the income God had blessed them with from their jobs, um, they had nothing to fall back on. Um, 
as a matter of fact, a lot of Americans had used their homes as ATM machines. Yeah. So as the equity in the home went up, they would borrow that equity and then they would go out and spend it. They wouldn't save it or invest in something that could give them a return. They'd spend it. So when all of a sudden their home values went down below what their debt was, they were in deep trouble. And there were a lot of Americans that ended up um, with that, that very problem. Matter of fact, I had I have a friend that uh, was in Michigan at the time, wanted to move, um, had an offer to for a very good job in in Texas, but couldn't because they were underwater in their house and they they didn't have the money to pay the bank the difference if they sold their house of what they owed the bank. Oh, wow. So that's because they you know they weren't good stewards mm-hmm. um, and they didn't follow biblical principles of of staying out of debt and. Um, taking care of just their basic needs first and then looking to God to do, you know, what they should do with the rest. They grew their lifestyle instead of growing their giving. And people who have hearts for God, who see themselves as stewards, um, they're some of the most generous people around. And they have uh, the the eight subjects in my book, their lifestyles are all extremely moderate compared to the size of their businesses and, and what their businesses earn, um, because they don't they don't need a big lifestyle. Their joy comes from giving. Their joy comes from serving. Their joy comes from uh, growing their companies that they love. Um, so it doesn't come from driving a newer, bigger, better, faster car and having four houses, you know, uh, yeah. in different places. And, and and so it's just again, it's a different different mindset, different hearts. Um, so I, the, the, the answer is in Scripture. The answer is always in Scripture. And, and uh, the Scriptures tell us live within our means. Don't get into debt. Um, give, you know, at least the, the, the first 10 percent of, of your best, the best of everything, the best of your, your financial resource, the best of your time, you know, the best of your energy, the best of your, your talents. Give that first. And when people literally do that, um, you know, they, they see what a, a blessing they can be and, and what a joy that is. And, and they continually, they continue to do it and grow in doing it. Yeah. I remember in 2006, uh, my wife and I had both lost our jobs. This was before the, uh, the, the great recession, as they say. And um, we were left with the question, do we seek out new jobs here in Phoenix or do we move? And where do we move to? Well, she's a native Santa Barbara, so certainly that was one of the choices. And we'd been here a number of times and I liked the place. Uh, Then another place we wanted to move to was Ireland. So we kind of weighed the cost of just going to do the R&R, if you will, uh, and R, which was uh, uh, rest, relaxation and uh, reconnaissance. And we decided to come to Santa Barbara because uh, it would have eaten up a big part of our nest egg that we had. So we came here for a week, did that, went back, put the house up for sale. It sold on the uh, 9th, the 8th of, um, it closed on the 8th of May. And we were on the road and we drove into our new place uh, that we rent uh, on the 9th of uh, May uh, at about 2.30 in the morning. And I was told uh, that two weeks after we left, two weeks after our house had closed, the real estate market in Phoenix began to fall. Mm. You know, and it's like, wow, I had no idea this was going to happen. But I guess, uh, you know, timing is everything. 
it, it can be, and that's God's provision sometimes. Yeah, uh, and it was you know, really a, amazing. It was really yeah, amazing. It, it is. I'll give you an example, and, and this isn't one from my book. This is one from my own family about uh, uh, being wise around money. And, mm-hmm. and it's it's our younger daughter. And of course, you know, being in the, the financial business, we, we uh, talked a lot about that when our kids were younger. But uh, she and her husband, um, he worked in the real estate business in Florida, and she's a speech pathologist, and they both earn good incomes. And they decided that uh, they would live off one of their incomes and save everything else. Now, this was before the recession. This was just two young people that that's what they decided to do. And so they, they did that. And when uh, the recession hit, he lost his job in the real estate business. Well, guess what? One, they had a, a nice nest egg because they had saved one of their incomes. And two, they were used to living on one income already. So it didn't affect them at all. But what it gave them the opportunity to do is my son-in-law, I asked him, I said, what is it? This is a great opportunity. You have a clean slate. What is it you've always really wanted to do? What do you think your calling is? And he, and he said, yeah, I've always wanted to be uh, an analyst. And I said, well, you need to get your, your um, chartered financial analyst designation. That's a very tough designation to get. probably take three years. But that's what you need to do. And, and so um, they had the financial attitude for him to be able to do that full time and not have to worry about you know trying to find employment right away. And he did that. And now he is an analyst in that world just doing phenomenally well. And yeah. it's because they, they basically follow biblical principles about money and maintained a very reasonable lifestyle, um, maintained a nice nest egg, and, and were very prudent and diligent about how they, they took care of what God had blessed them with. And that's interesting that they chose to do that, to, to, to live off of one income and obviously uh, uh, save the, the other income, uh, just almost on a whim. If you will, some would say, oh, well, it was just on a whim that they decided to do that. Well, you know, you sometimes wonder, maybe you're being guided. Maybe you're being told that, uh, you know, everything's going to be just fine. However, you might want to consider doing this. Don't want to scare you. That's not what this is about. This is, as you said, uh, Jeff, about being prudent. And I think that that's the same situation that that we found ourselves in in 2006. Now, there Mm -hmm. was one key factor for us. Uh, It was March 1st. We were sitting watching TV. We both were unemployed. And uh, my wife comes to me and she says, I'm scared. I'm really scared. I feel like we're on the edge of a cliff. I says, you know what? Everything I have ever read, all the interviews I've ever done, all the programs I've been through and so on and so forth, they all say the same thing. When you're on the edge of a cliff, you do two things. You jump and you trust. And I had no fear throughout that entire three-month period, March, April, and May. None whatsoever about not necessarily like I had some inside knowledge of what was going to happen. No, 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 no. I just didn't have any fear about what was happening. We just lost our jobs. Okay, well, somehow we managed to set up this little nest egg over here. Uh, we took out a little, like, like these uh, folks did uh, who took out that equity line of credit, for example, but they went off and spent it. We, we didn't mm-hmm. go off and spend it. We had that that we were able to use to move. cost me five grand to move 9,000 pounds of stuff across the desert, wow. my friend. Wow. Wow is right. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And I'm hoping to reduce that 
by a good seven to eight thousand pounds when we move the next time we have to move. Because good luck with that. <laughs> oh man, oh man. Um, but like I said, I, the, the the fear factor is huge, isn't it? When it com- especially when it comes to money. When the bills come due, you don't have enough paycheck at the end of the month. You got more month, as they say, at the end of the paycheck. And you still got bills you got to pay. Uh, and now you got to decide, are we going to buy food? Are we going to buy medicine? Are we going to pay the bills? You know, what are you going to do? Uh, and then that fear, because I've been there uh, years and years and years ago. I, I've been there. I'm sure that most people have. Yeah, most all of us have. And, and yet in hindsight, you now see that it was probably the best thing that could have happened to you, that both you both lost your jobs at that point in time because you sold your home two weeks before the market crashed. You wouldn't have done that if, if you hadn't lost your jobs. You moved to Santa Barbara, which is you know, where you resumed your career and how well that's worked out. And, mm-hmm. and so in hindsight, you can see where things worked out. But, but yeah, the, the, the fear can be um, paralyzing at times. And in, in my book, Bigger Than Business, um, one of the commonalities in all the stories is that every, every subject is super transparent. These are not stories. And the reason I wrote the book is I wanted to not only um, uh, help people understand that, that we, we're supposed to live our purpose, be, be in ministry seven days a week. And wherever we are, whatever we're doing, if, God, if that's what God created us to do, then we, we should find a way to use it to glorify him. And um, so, you know, all, all the subjects in the book at some point um, reached – a crossroad where they face failure and where or they, they face potential failure, potential financial devastation. And they had to make some choices. And in almost every case, they had to choose whether to compromise their values, whether to, to compromise um, what they really believe through their faith or and, and follow what the world was saying is the right thing to do, or to trust God completely mm. and and not compromise their values. And so I don't want to share the, the, the stories, but, but every one of them chose to trust God. And, and it's amazing how God blessed and honored that um, in each of the stories. But every, every subject is, is very transparent about the problems they face. This is a book about an example, examples of how to live your purpose through your, your business or through your career. It's not theology about why you should do it and, um, you know, just a theological approach. It's actual examples of people living their purpose, the challenges they face, the problems they've encountered, the tough decisions they've had to make, the fears they've had. Um, but ultimately, they, uh, w- when they chose to trust with God and, and not compromise their values, they, everything ended up being okay. Um, it wasn't always easy, but, but ultimately it worked out. Jeff, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program, sharing not just your story, but also the stories of these eight folks, these eight business leaders who uh, are part of Bigger Than Business, a real, real world stories of business owners uh, living their purpose. And again, it's at biggerthanbusiness.com. That's biggerthanbusiness.com. And uh, we encourage you to go to that website. We will be linked to your website, uh, Jeff, so that people can get more information about you and about the book as well. And it's um, also, uh, Richard, it's also available on Amazon. Um, It's also available on Kindle uh, and audio. Audio. uh, I saw that. Audible. Congratulations uh, for having it on Audible. That's one of my favorite, uh, favorite forums uh, or formats, if you will. 
Thank you. I love listening to uh, listening to, to folks' books. Before we let you go, I have three final questions for you, but I want to let our listeners know that uh, we're here uh, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Sundays and then 1 a.m. on Monday mornings. The podcasts are all over the place, starting with SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, uh, Player FM, Blueberry, and a bunch of other locations. And if you'd like to support what we're doing here, we would greatly appreciate any uh, support that you can give us financially through PayPal or Patreon. And again, we'll take your energetic support as well. Jeff, before we let you go... Three final questions, and I thank you so much for giving us so much time. First question is, who is Jeff Holler? Jeff Holler is somebody that that um, is totally sold out for for Christ. That um, that my number one priority is is each and every day uh, to do my best to to follow Him where He leads me, and, and to try and be obedient to follow the path He's prepared for me. And, as I've done that, Richard, he's led me places that I could have never imagined for myself. I, I didn't plan on writing this book. He led me there, and it's led me to experiences I could have never led myself. So um, I, I used to think I was a good Christian, and I thought being a good Christian was taking Christ with me wherever I went. And I went through a, a difficult personal experience, knocked me to my knees, and, and, and God made it clear, hey— you need to give me control and you need to start following me. <laughs> and mm. so I've, I've tried to do that every day. So my number one priority is to be obedient. And, and uh, uh, the amazing thing God has opened up to me as I do that has, has just been incredible. What is it that you want or hope to achieve through the work that you're doing now? You know, I, I want people to understand that, that God created them for a purpose and, and that they can live that purpose no matter where they are, no matter what they're doing. And particularly for, for people in business and business owners, you don't have to give a, a, a great sermon or write a praise song or be in the mission fields to be in ministry. God created us to be in ministry right where we are. And he gave us our unique abilities um, to glorify him and serve him right where we are. So I, I, I want to help people understand that. And I particularly want to help young people understand that I'm, I'm working on a a presentation to take to college-age students to help them understand how to how to understand their calling first and then how to uh, uh, transform that into their, their life's purpose and, uh, uh, you know, how, how they can be in ministry seven days a week. And, and so that's, that's, that's what I want to achieve through Bigger Than Business. And finally, question number three is, what is your life's purpose? That, that, that's a great question. And uh, uh, I, I think my life's purpose is, is to um, one day at a time be obedient to where God wants to take me. But at this point in time, I feel very clear that, that God wants me to, to help other people understand how, how they can serve him right where they are. Um, I think that's my purpose today. And I think that's my purpose for the foreseeable future. Um, and again, especially called to, to, to the younger generation, because the younger generation believes what the world says, that, that you have business and, and then you have your faith, and your faith has no place in the marketplace. And that is absolutely wrong. And I want to help young people before they start their careers understand that and help them um, as they go into their careers, take their faith with them and help them understand what a huge difference that will make in their life. 
Jeff Holler, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Biggerthanbusiness.com, the book Bigger Than Business, and it's the real world stories of business owners living their purpose. I'm Richard Dugan, and I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, and I hope you'll join us on each program. Be sure to listen to the podcast. And until next time, love to lull.